What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Episode of the podcast to be named later. I'm Chris Willis, and I'm again joined by my co-host Stephen Talbert. Stephen, I hope you had a good holiday season. Uh, it's good to be back with you after a week off. Uh, we've got some things to talk about tonight. What's up, Chris? Yeah, it's good to be back with you, buddy. It was um, it was good to get away. We both kind of stepped away for the holidays and just kind of you know let news kind of break as it did, and 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 didn't have to worry about reacting too much, but. After about a week or ten days away, I, I kind of start getting the itch again to to talk about this stuff, and so it's it's good to be back on with you, buddy. Yeah, and uh, I, I'll be honest, you know, I did try to get away as much as I could last week, uh, but we had that brutal cold snap come through here, and but now it's been unseasonably warm the last couple of days, and it's got me thinking about spring training already. So, yeah, pretty. Yep. Pretty excited, uh, you know. We're we're a little over a month away uh, from pitchers and catchers reporting, I believe. So, you know, it's going to be here before we know it. And um, you know, I, like I said, I was able to get away a little bit last week, but that didn't stop the Braves outside Anthopolis from uh, uh, making some moves. And I think the biggest, obviously, the biggest uh, biggest story that happened while we were gone was the Sean Murphy extension. Uh, he agreed to a six-year, $73 million deal that uh, also includes a $15 million club option for an additional season. I'll be honest, I wasn't surprised. I mean, that's kind of the M.O. of the way these things work now. Uh, I was a little bit, I was honestly expecting it a day or two after the trade happened, and I guess the holidays and everything may have mixed that up. But, you know, were you, were you surprised when, uh, when, the, when the release came out that the Braves had uh, extended Murphy? I was not surprised at all. I think actually you and I talked about it the, after the trade was made that yeah that we would we were fully expecting this to come down at some point even sooner than it did. So I mean this fits exactly with what they do. I I actually wouldn't be surprised if they if they choose the types of guys they go after based on if they feel like they can lock them up. You know, it's not just I don't think it's just happenstance that they they get these deals done so frequently relative to the rest of the league. I think it's I think they do put in a lot of legwork beforehand to see if deals like these are are possible because, you know, they're they're team-friendly deals. There's no doubt. And the Braves have become famous all over the league and and in some corners, you know, infamous with the way that they've structured these deals and how frequently they give them out and how team-friendly they are. And and this Murphy extension is is no different. You know, it's a um, six-, seven-year deal. $73 $73 million total guaranteed. Um, there's an option year at the end, and the option's got no buyout, which is another thing that that kind of caught my attention was, you know, most of, the, most of the time when you have a club option, 
the player at least gets a, a little guaranteed buyout in there just as a, a you know a, you know one two three million dollar buyout just to guarantee a little bit more over top and the Braves got that club option without any buyout so it is a very team friendly deal and he is one of the best catchers in baseball I know a lot of people don't really know that yet especially a lot of Braves fans and you know I really hope he comes out strong this first season just so you know fans can kind of see how good he is but yeah, tremendous deal. I mean, the Braves have just got so many of these guys locked up for so long that it's hard to even keep track of. At this point, I was, I was, you know, kind of writing them all out at one point, and it, like I completely forgot about uh, Strider's deal. Like, there, there's just so many of them that you've. It's easy to forget the ones that have already happened. So, good for the Braves. Good for Murphy. He's got, you know, he's got generational money now. I know a lot of people are gonna say, you know, he left money on the table, but you know, for some of these guys. As long as they get, you know, X amount, which, you know, changes their lives, changes their kids' lives, their grand grandkids' lives, then they're fine leaving some more on the table if it means it's a guarantee. And, you know, when you're a guy like Murphy and you're three years away from free agency, you play one of the most physically demanding positions, probably the most physically demanding position in the sport. It's easy to sit back on your couch and say that the guy should have just gone year to year and waited and why he assumes all the risk. You know, and I understand why guys don't do that. And I understand why guys do it. I understand why guys go year to year and try to get as much money as possible. It makes sense to me. And it makes sense to me why guys leave some on the table to guarantee, you know, life-changing money now. I mean, you know, everybody killed that Acuna extension because of how team-friendly it was. And it was incredibly team-friendly. But then he tears his ACL, right? And we don't know that Ronald Acuna Jr. is ever going to be the same. We think he will be. So there's a good chance he will be, but he might not. He might not be the same, but you know what? He's got a hundred million dollars guaranteed in the bank. So you just never know. You never know what's going to happen. And so Sean Murphy just decided, you know what? I'm going to take the money now. And if I end up leaving 30, 40 million on the table, then so be it. I can live with that. You know, and it's not like this is his last contract. He'll get another one probably at the end of this one. So good for him. And I'm really happy for him. Happy for the Braves. And they've obviously got one of the best young uh, franchises in baseball all locked up for, I don't know, six, seven, eight years now. So it's it's nothing but good news for the Braves. Pretty impressive. And um, I was on the I was on the Zoom call the day after the uh, the extension was uh, announced, and a couple of things jumped out at me. I, you know, Murphy really talked about how they've gone out of the way to make him feel comfortable. I mean, this is a guy, this is a guy that's uh, you know he's not he's not even suited up in a Braves uniform yet. And uh, yet yep. he's been felt comfortable enough to, you know, commit for uh, six six years or possible seven years when you can when you consider the option. You know, I thought that was impressive. I mean, the same thing happened with Matt Olson, but it's a little different with Olson because Olson's from Atlanta. You know, Murphy didn't have the ties here or, or whatnot, but you know, I think he's impressed by the core. He's been impressed by the the way the uh, front office is, uh, has approached him, the coaching staff. I mean, he's just complimentary up and down the board. And then, you know, I mean, obviously this move did push them in past the first luxury tax, tax threshold. Um, you know, Alex, Alex Anthopoulos talked about that a little bit, uh, you know, said it really didn't factor into their, you know, the decision making. Uh, you know, they were always willing to do it for the right deal. You and I have talked about it. It was hard, going to be hard for them to not go in the tax eventually, uh, especially with arbitration coming up and, and then, uh, you know, the trade deadline where the Braves are normally, you know, pretty active if they need something, uh, with the exception of 2020 under Alex Anthopoulos, I mean, they went and got it at the deadline. So 
you know, it wasn't no surprises there. Uh, I will, uh, you know, I will say uh, it was kind of funny that Alex said, you know, he, they were always, uh, he was asked if there was anything more coming. And, you know, he said they're always looking, you know, the better the club, the, the same old answer that we always get. And it wasn't a few hours later, you know, they've they've traded for a, a reliever and then a couple of days later another outfielder. You know, minor, those are minor deals compared to the Murphy extension, but, you know, it just shows that, uh, you know, they're always, they're always in the game, so to speak, and in, in, in looking at it. But uh, uh, the Braves did also... Obviously, they traded, made, swung a trade with the Yankees for uh, reliever Lucas Litke. Um, I looked that pronunciation up today. It's uh, it's spelled L-U-E-T-G-E. Uh, I wasn't sure exactly if that's correct. I got that off MLB.com. If it's wrong, I apologize. Uh, but this guy, Stephen, this guy was good. I mean, he put he's put up two good good numbers in two seasons with the Yankees. Was DFA'd a little bit? I think that was a little bit surprising. But you know, I like this. I mean, I like this move um, just on, from looking at it because with Tyler Matzik out for the whole season, I think the Braves kind of needed another left-hander. So I thought that was pretty uh, a pretty. Uh, good move on their part it did cost them indigo diaz and uh caleb durbin a couple of minor leaguers diaz of course has been on our prospect list i believe uh but kind of really struggled with control last year and, and took a step back but uh you know what do you think about the move for licky yeah listen i i've i've said this before on this podcast and I'll, I'll say it again you know one of the one of my favorite numbers to look at is you know strikeout rate minus walk rate right? Like how many guys are you striking out and how many guys are you not walking? And, you know, if you look at Litke, right, that's what we're saying. Lucas Litke, right? Yeah. If if you look at his numbers, you know, he strikes out a decent amount of guys, but he really doesn't walk people. When you combine that with, you know, you can keep the ball in the ballpark. Um, He's left-handed. He does, you know, he, he can give up some singles here and there. He will get hit around a little bit on, on, you know, singles and doubles, but he doesn't give up a lot of homers. And he strikes people out and he doesn't walk people. There are absolutely worse things you can do or worse things you can get, you know, out of reliever. He is older. He's, I think he's like 35, if I, if I remember right. Yeah. But he's left-handed. The, like you said, the Braves needed another left-hander. They traded away Will Smith last uh, September, or last July. They obviously lost Tyler Matzik for the season with his arm injury. So they needed another lefty to go with, uh, with Dylan Lee and A.J. Minter and, so this guy is going to kind of fit right in. And it's funny when you look at the, you know, that extra bullpen spot was kind of one of the only really roster spots. You, we we can get, we'll talk about this more as we get closer to spring training, but every little move like this they make, it's going to make spring training less and less interesting in terms of like the roster, because I mean, they've really almost built out their bullpen at this point. So, uh, but it's a, you know, you can't have enough pitching. You can never have enough relievers, I mean, that's probably the thing that gets traded most at the deadline is relievers just because teams are always, always trying to add more bullpen. I mean, that's bullpens are essential. They're crucial in October. And so every team wants more bullpen help. And, you know, it costs so little. And uh, the the Yankees have a really bad 40-man crunch situation. They have for a few years now. They've they had one of the top farm systems in baseball for three or four years. And, and the 40-man roster crunch has kind of caught up with them the last few years. And they've had to DFA some some really talented guys. And so this is, he kind of got caught in a numbers game a little bit, but yeah, I, you can't have too much pitching, man. I mean, especially in, especially left-handers when you, when you did probably really needed another one. So 
given how little you gave up, and you know Diaz is a decent prospect, but given how little you gave up, I, I have no problem with this. It's it's, uh, it's it's what you should be doing when you're trying to win a World Series. Yeah, and that's a good point. And um, I, you know, it's going to be interesting. We'll break these we'll break these position groups down as we get a little closer to uh, uh, spring training. But like you said, the bullpen bullpen's interesting, and uh, uh, I expect them to build up some op- uh, some more. Uh, you know, maybe another option or two. I'm I'm kind of surprised Luke Jackson hasn't signed uh, yet, but you know this is always an area that we see them kind of shore up as they, as they head into spring, and then there's at least a little bit of competition at the at the end. You know, I, I think we need to look too and see who's got options now. I know Dylan Lee still has options. Obviously, he he was pitched so well last year; he was never a candidate, a real candidate to go down. But you know, you like to have that flexibility. Um, you know, just in case, in case something happens there. But the second deal the Braves made this week, uh, or last week, was uh, they another swung another trade with the Rangers, sent cash considerations for uh, outfielder Eli White. I'll be honest with you, I wasn't real familiar with him at the time the trade was made. From what I can gather, he's a great defender with ability to play center field, uh, can pretty much play all three spots. Hasn't hit uh, 56 weighted run created plus and 389 career plate appearances, but he's got two minor league options remaining. We're going to talk about the outfield a little more in depth later in this uh, episode, but you know I think the options thing again is a uh, is a big thing here. You know I mean obviously this could be some roster churn uh, over the last week or so. You know to, to add both of these guys, you know the Braves designated Hoy Park and Luan Diaz, who weren't on the roster very long. Is you know it's normal roster churn for this time of the of uh, the year where as teams try to build depth, they'll try to sneak those guys through waivers if they can. Uh, you know, White could be another one of those at some point, but they did send, you know, they did send cash, uh, a little bit of cash to Texas to get him. So, you know, it makes you wonder. And, you know, we, we've talked about this before, you know, behind uh, Michael Harris currently really don't have another center field option unless they're willing to play Acuna there at, at times. Uh, I know Luplo's played there a little bit. Sam Hilliard's played there a little bit, but, you know, I don't get the sense that, well, let me just say it'll be interesting to see who they who they envision as the backup center fielder. You know, once we get close to opening day. Yeah, I mean, honestly, you need you need AAA outfielders. It's not something that people think about a lot, but the Braves traded away Christian Pache. They traded away Drew Waters. They've had obviously Michael Harris got promoted. So, you know, they don't they don't actually have a ton of outfield depth in the minors, and so you need guys who can play in AAA. And like you said, he's got two options available and. You just, you have to have bodies and, you know, we saw it a couple of years ago when the Braves lost their entire outfield, they basically had to call up, you know, these kind of four A players to hold down the fort until you can make some trades. And you can't do that unless you build up a bunch of four A players in triple A. And that's, you know, that's really what triple A has become. You know, a lot of top prospects now kind of live in double A and triple A has become more of a, you know, a quasi uh, taxi squad for your major league team you get you see a lot of veteran guys in triple a you see a lot of 28 29 30 year old guys eli white is a, a prime example of a player like that so that's what you have to do i mean it's it's smart it's what teams should do kind of use triple a as a taxi squad in case you have injuries and if you need to you know fill in a gap between when an injury happens and when you can go trade for a replacement then you know these are the guys that you kind of use for that so that when i saw that trade that's kind of how i took it you know they need they need AAA outfielders. They need these 4A type guys who can fill in in a pinch. And so I wouldn't be surprised if they did a couple more. I mean, they're so low risk that, you know, you're not really giving up much of anything. So 
it's just depth. You just have to have depth for whatever might happen in a season. Yeah, and at some point, um, you know, we know of a few, a couple of uh, the minor league invites uh, to spring training, you know, the non-roster guys. You know, we're going to start to hear about those as, as we move through January. There's going to be more and more of them. And, uh, you know, it, the position battles will kind of uh, take on shape at that point. Uh, or at least for the last, the final roster spots. I think that'll be it's always an interesting time to see how they build out the roster and I mean, you know, if you you look back over the last few years, you know, it's not uncommon for a guy to come spring training with the Braves on a minor league uh, minor league deal with an invite and then earn his way on. So, you know, it's always it's always interesting to see how those uh, those things shake out. Yeah, I mean, I think I think Eli White's had at least got a chance to stick on the 40 man um you know, to, through opening day, probably not going to crack the opening day roster, but, you know, just having those couple of options, you know, it gives them a, gives them some uh, buffer if they need to, they need to promote somebody. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a Prop G pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Shifting gears this week, I, I wrote a couple of articles talking about looking at the shortstop position and then the situation in left field. That's both of those you and I have went in depth on, but I don't think we've actually talked about some of the some of the options that are still out there and available. Uh, with each passing day, Stephen, I'm starting to think that the Braves are going to go with what they have at shortstop. You know, I know as long as uh, as long as there's some free agents out there, Elvis Andrus, Jose Iglesias, you know, the possibility remains that they bring in a veteran. Uh, but it just seems like just hearing Alex talk about the position, talk about Vaughn Grissom, you know, I think they're going to give Grissom every chance to win this job. And if he can't, then you know, maybe you know, maybe it's Arcia, you know, for, uh, opening day, and then maybe they're looking, you know, to try to help uh, fortify that position at that point. You know, but I don't get the sense that they're really, they really want to bring in a guy on, on the free agent market. But when I was looking at the what shortstops are out there, I mean the cupboard's pretty bare. I mean it's really, in my opinion, just two guys: Elvis Andrus one, and like I said, Jose Iglesias is is the other possibility. Andrus is the big name, uh, the better the better um, situation, in my opinion. And he's coming off of a great season last year. He split it with Oakland and Chicago. Put up three and a half uh, F WAR, 105 weighted runs created plus, and I thought this was interesting. It's the first time since 2017, and just the third time in his 14-year career that he's had a weighted runs created plus above league average. You know, you and I have talked about Orlando Arcia's career numbers at the plate. You know, last year he he was league average, hasn't been much in his career, but Andrus has played a lot of games and a lot of time, and uh, you know, and and hasn't had a whole lot of success at the plate. But he's a great defender, and I really do feel like if the Braves go out and get one of these guys. It's going to be because of their defense. I mean, but would you would you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, I, I am definitely starting to lean. You know, I've kind of said all off season that I thought the Braves would add somebody like Andrews to at least be a 
a safety net for Grissom, and and especially if things if things don't go well in spring, if he starts making some errors or stuff, and the pressure starts to build, it's it's just nice to have a veteran that you know can play short because Arcia hasn't really played short in a, in a while. So, you know, and, and Bowman, I've said this before, but Mark Mark Bowman, the Braves MLB.com beat writer, has specifically mentioned Andrus's name. I don't know, four or five times this offseason. And, and Mark doesn't just mention names kind of willy-nilly. He, he, he has, I mean, he, he hears stuff. He, you know, he's heard that name. So my my take of it is as long as Andrus is still out there, I'm going to, at least a, a decent chunk of me is going to uh, think that they still could add a veteran. If Andrews signs, you know, if we wake up tomorrow and Andrews is signed with the Twins or Dodgers or whatever, then then yeah, I, I would probably be very much more in the camp that they're just going to roll with Grissom and Arcia, and that might still be what they do, but it still wouldn't shock me at all if they added a guy like Andrews, especially now that they're already over the tax. You know, if it was the move that put them in the tax, I don't know if there's a psychology to that, if, if you know, you want Elvis Andrews to be the guy that kind of takes you from a no-tax team to a tax team, but you and I have said, I don't know how many times this offseason, but it was going to be almost impossible for the Braves not to be in the tax this year. I mean, they were so close. And if you made any kind of addition in the offseason or, or any kind of addition during during the season at the trade deadline, you were going to be in the tax. So that now that they're already in, I don't know if it makes it easier for them to go get a guy like Andrews or if not, you know, I don't, I don't know how much that plays into it, but it still wouldn't surprise me at all. But yeah, once we once Andrews comes off the board, then I'm probably going to be very much in you know, in the camp of, okay, they're just going to roll with, with what they've got. Looking at a, a little bit uh, closer at uh, Glacius, I was a little bit surprised because I was thinking when the Braves played the Rockies, you know, he had pretty good numbers and he did hit 292 last year, but with an 85 weighted runs created plus, uh, he's worth one, one F4 um, for the season, uh, you know, just below average hitter. And that's a below average hitter that played half of his games in Colorado last year. He's about league average defensively, you know, it's another option. But, I mean, at this point, I'm kind of wondering, like I said, if, if I would not be shocked if it's Andrews. I mean, there's, you know, he, he played for Ron Washington. You know, there he's been in the Braves organization before, albeit it was a long time ago. You know, I think there there's parallels there. And as you said, Bowman's mentioned him by name. But, um, you know, also I'm starting to wonder, you know, let's say they come to the spring training and they decide Grissom's not ready. Okay, he's going to... He's going to uh, uh, start the season at Gwinnett. You know, that would put Arcia as a shortstop, probably somebody like A.R.A. Adrianza as the utility guy who's who's on a minor league deal currently. He'd be a non-roster invite. But I wonder, too, you know, if they think uh, they could find somebody maybe towards the end of spring training, maybe there's a trade there. Um, I don't know. It would be hard, I would think, to find to come up with a starter at that point, but it might be somebody that you could actually pair with Arcia a little more. I don't know. It's going to be it, that. It, like I said, it's been. It's going to be in an, an uh, interesting situation as far as the shortstop goes. But I mean, it's just not beyond Andrus. I mean, there just really isn't much out there, honestly. I mean, uh, Andrelton Simmons is out there. A lot of Braves fans, you know, would jump at that. You know, would eat that up. But I mean, he played 35 games last year, and he's a shell of what he was. I mean, he was playing mostly yeah. playing second base for the Cubs when he was healthy last year. You know, I just don't know. I just don't know that there's much left there. And um, you know, I, I do. The, as we go, you know, I do wonder if they think that Grissom can actually win the job. Like I feel like Grissom can hit. 
you know, I, we, we kind of broke down his season. You know, he started uh, fast and it was uh, kind of, it's kind of slumping towards the end and lost time again to Arcia. But I think most of that was defensively. And so, you know, if he can just hold his own defensively, I think the Braves would really like him to win this job. But, you know, the timing's going to be, it's going to be interesting because I'm not anticipating Andrus being out there by the time spring training starts. So it's going to be interesting to see how they play that out. Yeah, now if Andrews was still available come spring training and they got to kind of see Grissom and then could decide, that would be tremendous. I mean, that would be the best of, of both worlds of, of being able to watch Grissom kind of in some spring training games and, and live plays and then and then be able to still go out and get a decent you know, replacement if you're not confident. I doubt that's going to happen. Andrews is probably going to sign well before that. But it's funny, I was thinking about this today because this is how baseball usually goes, is that, you know, everybody, pretty much everybody who's talked about Von Grissom has said kind of the same thing, that, you know, he's going to, he's he's more than likely going to hit. We just don't know how good his defense is going to be. And I've watched enough baseball in my life to know that at this point, I think there's a decent chance that he comes out in 2023 and is like an elite glove, and he can't hit a lick. Like, you know, I've seen this story play out a bunch where you, you know, you have a, a, a narrative of a guy and everybody shares that narrative. And then, you know, that was Dansby a little bit. If you remember when Dansby was coming up, that Dansby was going to hit. There's no doubt Dansby's going to hit, but we don't know what kind of defensive shortstop he's going to be. And then obviously it ended up being the inverse, that he ended up being a great defensive shortstop and his offense was kind of up and down. And so it really wouldn't surprise me at all at this point, given how much we've talked about it. If the same happened with Grissom, that, you know, everybody's questioning his defense and it ends up being like some crazy, ridiculous, high level defensive player. But the, the bat is, you know, is what's holding it back. Um, you know, that's just kind of how baseball goes. Um, so I, it, that wouldn't surprise me at all, but yeah, if they don't sign Andrews, then, then yeah, I don't, I, I can't see them signing Iglesias or some other random guy, unless just something crazy happens in spring training and a guy who they didn't think was available, you know, if the, the Brewers get some kind of crazy rash of injuries to, you know, Corbin Burns and, and Brandon Woodruff in spring training and decide maybe they trade Adamus, you know, barring something like that. Yeah. If they don't sign Andrews, then they're going to roll with Grissom and RC and they might do that anyways. It'll be fun to see them. Yeah. And I mean, that's a good point with Grissom uh, on his offense. I mean, you'll remember I was kind of the low guy on the staff on him just because, I mean, he was amazing when he first come up, but I mean, he was running yeah. a bat, he was running a bad bet close to 400. I mean, it's, it ended up at 350, which is not going to be sustainable, especially when you look at his stat cast numbers. I mean, he averaged, average exit velocity was 84.6. I mean, if I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but that was down in the, the Guillermo Aradia territory. When you looked at the yeah. whole team, you know, the barrel rates, the barrel rates kind of uh, on the low side too. And then, you know, the expected, he, he overperformed all of his expected uh, metrics. But I mean, we're only still, we're still only talking about 141 plate appearances. No, 156 plate appearances. So, you know, I mean, the track record, I think, is there from the minors. Uh, you know, he's hit, he's hit pretty much at every level. You know, he was very impressive at Double A. Didn't didn't miss a beat when he went from Rome to Mississippi. So, I, but I agree with you. It wouldn't be the it wouldn't be the most shocking thing in the world if he holds his own defensively. But you know the what the kind of the slump that we saw at the end of the season. You know if that 
if that carries over, if he can't make those adjustments after pitchers make adjustments to him, I mean, it's it's concerning, and it, it's I mean, it's going to be the storyline of the off season, of the spring for sure. Uh, you know how with Swanson now gone, you know it's just going to feel it's going to feel weird a little bit if it's if it does end up being RCA on opening day. I mean, it's good that you've got RCA, but at the same time, you know, I just don't know that I can buy into the changes he made. I just feel like the more he plays, the more he's going to get exposed offensively. You know, I think he's he's uh, he's made himself into a viable bench option, especially with the way, you know, the way he hit the ball hard last year and those exit velocities really jumped up. But it, can he do that over as a regular player? You know, I'm not I'm still not sure. Yeah, and I I do worry about what you just said with Grissom quite a bit that it's one thing when you're Matt Olson and you're you're a veteran and you've been in the league for a while and you're kind of more sure of yourself and you know when you're coming in and replacing you know maybe the most popular guy on the team and I think even Matt if he was honest tell you that that was probably not very easy to do last year and, and it did affect him a little bit but when you're talking about a 21 year old kid who is not sure of himself at all and, and playing in the majors is already hard enough but then on top of it you have the pressure of of having to replace Swanson and who was such a ridiculously good defensive shortstop. And you know that every single person watching is watching you based on your defense and every single ground ball that's hit to you is, you know, the pressure just gets ratcheted up and you're trying to win the job. And I I do worry about that with Grissom a little bit. It's good that they have Arcia, but I, I could see a scenario where they get to spring training and, and, you know, he feels just the weight of the world on every ground ball and, and they get to the point where they're they're not loving that, and they just kind of tell them, "All right, listen, we're gonna go get someone. We're gonna start you in AAA. Just relax. We we are not gonna we're not gonna just drown you in this pressure that's kind of artificial." So, I do worry about you know him trying to replace Dansby and you know in one spring training and, and and the pressure that's gonna come with that. But who knows? I mean, this kid might just be made of something different, and you know not even care at all, and and be able to go out and play excellent baseball. I mean, the, the, the range of possibilities for this is just ridiculous, uh, ridiculously high. I mean, there is, you know, across the entire spectrum of what could, what could happen here. So, but you're right. I mean, that's going to be the number one story of the offseason, for better or for worse. That's what everyone's going to be paying attention to. Yeah. And I mean, the precedent's there a little bit too. And I'm not, I'm not suggesting that Vaughn Grissom is uh, as good as uh, Jeremy Pena was for Houston, but you know, there's a, there's another situation right there where a guy, you know, it stepped in and replaced one of the biggest free agent names, you know, on the off season last year and they won a world series and he played a huge part yep. in it. Uh, you know, maybe Grissom's cut different. Um, if I remember right, I don't think, I mean, Pena was a good prospect, but I don't think he was, you know, that highly regarded except by the Houston. And, you know, and I kind of feel that same way with the Braves and Grissom right now. So yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see how it turns out. It feels like you and I've been talking about the outfield, for the better part of this podcast's existence, uh, particularly left field. I wrote about this today. Obviously, it kind of feels like they're betting on a a bounce-back season from Eddie Rosario. But something I didn't even realize until I was... I knew it, but I didn't. It didn't really dawn on me until I was researching for this article. The Braves have seven outfielders on the forty-man roster, and uh, you know that uh, Cunha, Cunha. We know Cunha is going to be penciled in right. We know Michael Harris is going to be penciled in set in center, and that lead. And then beyond that, there's Eddie Rosario, Jordan Luplo, who they signed this off season, Sam Hilliard, who they acquired from the Rockies in November. Um, 
uh, Eli White, we already talked about him tonight, and then, of course, Marcelo Zuna. You know, that's a lot of names to kind of throw towards the left to try to, to try to fill the spot. I kind of wrote today, it looks like if the season started tomorrow, we'd see sort of a, a Rosario Luplo platoon in left field, you know, with Azuna probably at the DH. White's got options. Hilliard's out of options. I think Hilliard's a little bit of a, an intriguing guy. We probably, you know, it's probably actually worth uh, exploring a little more about him in a, in a later episode or on the site. But I don't think he's, I get the kind of the feeling with him that he might not be guaranteed this 40-man spot, you know, depending on how he, how he performs during the spring. You know, I think he's played some center field. He's a big guy, you know, but moves pretty well for his size, it's my understanding. So, you know, they've already got a lot of guys. So I think it's reasonable to think that they go with what they have and then look to upgrade later. I mean, you know, we've seen them remake the whole outfield at the trade deadline. It wasn't that long ago, 2021. So, you know, they can always go out and get an outfielder. Went out and got Robbie Grossman last year. But um, unlike the shortstop position, there's actually some intriguing names still out there on the open market. You know, I listed a few here and uh, and I wanted to talk about them. But, I mean, what do you, you know, if if spring training started tomorrow, would you be surprised if this is the group of outfielders that the Braves carry in there? I would not be surprised. I would be a little disappointed, and I've—it's only fair that I, you know, I've said all offseason that if the Braves didn't add a, either a, a decent name or a decent player in, in, in shortstop or left, that I'd be disappointed. And and you know, as of right now, they haven't. They're they've gone internal options at shortstop, and they've gone very cheap options in, in at left uh, or in left field. So I would not be surprised. I would be disappointed, but I will say this. They, they still could add, and even if it wasn't expensive options, you know, you know, let's say, and I know you wrote on, you wrote down a few names here, Adam Duvall and, and, and so on, but you know, let's just say hypothetically, Adam Duvall is not getting the offers that he wants and, and the Braves are able to bring him in on like a minor league deal or something like that. If you go into the spring training with a, some sort of Duvall, you know, Luplo, Rosario kind of grouping and you tell them, you know, two two guys are going to make the team and, and just kind of let them battle it out, then that's not the worst situation in the world. Um, and Duvall's got enough track record where that could be intriguing. Luplo does have a decent track record uh, against lefties. It's a weird track record, but it is decent. And then Rosario has at least been decent against right-handed pitching most of his career. Last year was the outlier, but you know, I, I, I it would definitely be the weakest position group for the Braves on the field, uh, and that includes shortstop, where, where you know they're about to potentially start a rookie. Um, so you know, I would be annoyed that they didn't upgrade it a little better than that, but. No, it would not. To answer your question, no, it would not surprise me at all. I mean, I I think they're going to be very op- opportunistic from here on out. I think they'll listen on a lot of stuff, but I think if you if you got Alex to give you the the God's honest truth, he would tell you that if they went into spring training with this exact group they have now, that he would be okay with that. So, no, it wouldn't surprise me at all. Yeah, I mean, it feels like they're banking on that that Rosario bouncing back. And I'll be honest, I mean, he can't be much worse than he was last year. Honestly, when you look nope. at his, you look at his. Um, you know, his season as a whole, obviously the eye surgery missed, uh, missed a couple of months, came back, struggled, was better, but still struggled, uh, was not anywhere close to the player we saw down the stretch in 2021. And I'll be honest, that, that was always going to be an, an, uh, outlier. I mean, Eddie Rosario's kind of the, um, he runs hot and cold in the same way that Duvall does a lot of times. 
and and we and in 2021 through the uh, down the stretch and into the postseason, the Braves saw the absolute best version of Eddie Rosario. You know, he was never going to be able to sustain that over a full season. But I don't think you know I didn't see him going off the cliff either. I wasn't crazy about signing him to a two year two year deal, but you know at the same time. I didn't think he would ever, there was ever a situation where he could be that bad. Hopefully, you know, the eye thing, obviously, I mean, if you can't see, you can't hit and you can't field your position, but you know, the way he performed down the, down the stretch didn't, didn't leave a whole lot of confidence there. But I mean, if he could just get the league average, you're talking about a, you know, a pretty substantial upgrade in left field. You know, I think the best thing at this point is to is to uh, a platoon situation. He shouldn't face lefties. I mean, unless he's just absolutely on fire the way he was in 2021. And you know, Luplo's he he hit him really well in two, in 2019, 2020. Hasn't hit him as well the last two seasons. So it's going to be interesting there. But that was a guy. You know, that's the only what is that the only free agent sign they've made this off season. So. You know, only, they, only guaranteed money they've handed out this this offseason. Right, right. So I mean, there's something there. You know, they've seen something in him, and I figure he's going to be, he's going to play a part in this this season. I mean, that's that's pretty clear at this point. But you know, talking about Duvall, you know, I think you and I expected a reunion pretty quick. You know, I was a little, yeah. I was like you, I was a little surprised when it was Luplo that was signed and and Duvall's still out there, but. You know, I was looking at his season last year, and, I mean, he struggled. People didn't pay enough attention to it. But, uh, I mean, he had a 48 weighted runs created plus through April and May. That was worse, I believe, than Rosario. You know, a lot more yeah. plate appearances. But that was worse than Eddie Rosario. And, we, you know, we've talked about at Rosario's start, you know, a lot. Now, he was playing center field <clears throat> during that stretch. And uh, from June 1st on, he hit 10 home runs and had a 143 weighted runs created plus before he suffered the wrist injury on July 23rd. So, you know, we've seen Duvall run hot and cold. Obviously, he's only a couple of seasons uh, removed from uh, a, the, a career season. I think that was an outlier. But, you know, this is a guy that uh, he can play all three outfield spots. I think it'd make a lot of sense if they brought him in. I'm not sure there's room for him. But, you know, I still wouldn't be, you know, if you if I woke up tomorrow and seen that they'd signed Adam Duvall, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, I yeah, I I almost expect it at this point, especially when they don't really have a backup center fielder. Like you said, Duvall, at at very least, could be that. You know, he could be a backup center fielder, a, a pincher off the bench. It kind of depends on what they do at other spots. You know, obviously you're, you're restricted to 26 guys, and so... You know, can you? How many outfielders can you carry is kind of dictated by how many infielders you carry and, and so on. How many pitchers you carry. So, um, but if he's if if they can get him at the right price, then heck yeah, bring him in because you know you never know. I mean, he could bounce back to the guy he was in twenty twenty or you know the guy he's been. He he gets really hot and cold like a lot of the Braves hitters do. Um, but one thing I will say about left field, and I think most people understand this by now, at least if you follow the team, is that outfield is the easiest position to upgrade in season because there's just usually so many options and there's a lot of guys having decent years and you know outfield is another position that you can upgrade even at the end of spring training when guys get cut and you know they're decent players but they kind of get caught in a roster crunch and and they don't have jobs so you know even if they don't bring in somebody between now and the start of spring training it doesn't mean they're not going to bring somebody in eventually because outfield and especially left field when you don't have to worry about defense as much it's probably the easiest position other than DH 
to to upgrade. So even if Rosario and, and Luplo start as the left fielders, doesn't mean they're going to end the season as the left fielders or even in spring training as left. I mean, if Rosario comes out and just absolutely, you know, is like one for 30 in spring training, then I, I wouldn't be surprised if they try to go out and upgrade before the season even starts. I mean, you don't, you try not to put too much weight into spring training numbers, but if he looks just as bad as he did the last season, even after the surgery, then I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if they upgrade, tried to upgrade before, before open day even arrives. So it is, on the one hand, it is disappointing if they don't upgrade it more in the winter. But on the other hand, it is pretty much the easiest position to upgrade once the games start being played. So just because a guy starts there doesn't mean he's going to finish there. Yeah, that's that's a good point. And, uh, you know, just to, just to wrap up on Duvall, and I mean, I'm this is getting deep into the, you know, what ifs or whatever. But, you know, Duvall came in and he's healthy. You know, he's been an everyday player before. You know, if he and and we know uh, Snicker Snicker uh, has always been fond of Duvall. You know, if Duvall came in and, and provided that league average bat in left field, then you could almost push that Rosario, Luplo, Ozuna to the DH spot. You know, and and it, it and it's an upgrade across the board. But you know, there's a lot of question marks with Duvall. Obviously, you know, he's getting up there in age. You know, the the hot and cold streaks. They're well, you know, they're well documented. Um, I mean, the guy can get his, you know, if you go back to his 2020 season, you know, he put up a monster stretch and it was almost like a three weeks, it was three weeks worth where he was, you know, supernova. And then, you know, the rest of the time he wasn't that great, you know, just to be honest, but that, that three week stretch, um, you know, just, uh, uh, you know, skewed his numbers in a 60 game season. So, you know, again, I'm I'm kind of surprised. You know, I'm sure he's probably looking for an opportunity to probably play every day. But at this at this stage of his career, coming off a of, you know coming off of wrist surgery, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he doubles back to what's been familiar, and he's been a part of the Braves now for for a while. Uh, another name I had uh, was Andrew McCutcheon. Obviously, a big name, bigger name. Spent most of the time at DH last year. I don't know if uh, you know. I don't know if it'd be feasible to play him in left field. I can't imagine that he would be any worse. That he, w- I can't imagine that he wouldn't be better in Rosario or Ozuna out there in any stretch. And he's got a 154 weighted run created plus against left-handers for his career. Again, I don't know that I, he may be looking for an everyday job. But you know, again, this is another guy that's getting up there in, in years, and he might want to try to make one, you know, one final run on a good team. At some point, how old, how how old is how old is he? That's a good question, and I didn't write it down. Um, he's got to be like thirty five. Yeah, point. he had maybe thirty six. Hang on, I've got it right here. Uh, he is thirty six. He just turned thirty. He turned thirty six in October. A lot of mileage on him, but you know, you're talking about a one year deal, and uh, uh, he was he was a ninety eight weighted runs created plus last year, uh, but put up five hundred eighty plate appearances for Milwaukee. Pretty much played, you know, one hundred thirty four games. Most of it was at DH. Did play 31 games in left field. You know, I felt like he was another option. And then the uh, the other guy on he my had list. A, go ahead. He had a sorry. You said he had a 98 WRC plus last year. Yeah, for the whole for uh, for the season. Uh, let's see the yeah. splits. Splits here. I wrote this today, but I don't remember. But he was 106 against left-handers. Uh, really? Last year. Okay. So yeah. he had a he had a better year than I thought he did. Yeah, I mean Good he was him, pretty man. pretty solid. I mean the batting average was a little low, 237, but. You know, he he was you know he was solid, and I, I mean I think his days he probably shouldn't be playing every single day, 
But you know, if you 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 could platoon him, play him, give him some starts at DH too. I, you know, I think I think it's reasonable um, as far as that goes. That'd be a great locker room guy. Too. Yeah, great absolutely. like leadership. You know, if you're worried about leadership after Dansby's gone, that would be tremendous. You know, Kutch has just been around forever. He's 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 been in playoffs. He's been in All Star games. He's done just about everything you could do in the sport. So yeah, he would. I didn't realize he was that good. I, I for some reason in my head I thought he was like ter- like absolutely terrible last year and, and was kind of bordering on retirement. But he obviously had a much better offensive season than I realized. So that would that would I, I'm actually pretty intrigued by that. Yeah, and I mean the defensive numbers are kind of uh, uh, ugly uh, to be honest. You know, I mean, but still, I mean, yeah, it's barely well, it was like zero point three f war. You know, so I th- I see him more as a situational player. But you know, yeah. again, I mean, he's he looks. I don't know. I don't know what it is. I've seen this on Twitter too, and so I, and I kind of agree with it. He's always looked kind of like a brave to me in a lot of ways, yeah. Because he he checks a lot of the boxes that they like, you know, as far as you mentioned, as, as far as leadership goes, and you know, just a, a good clubhouse guy, and he can contribute. I mean, it's kind of the same thing as Adam Duvall. Uh, obviously, Duvall was yeah. an MVP MVP player, but you know, he's been kind of regarded the same way. The last name on my list was uh, Padre uh, Jerickson Profar. Used to be a pretty much a super utility guy, but he settled into left field with the Padres last year. Pretty much played there exclusively. Had a career year, two and a half F four, 110 weighted runs created plus in in 2022. He's been up and down a little bit against lefties, but he's a switch hitter. I think he's probably looking for a full time gig. You know, so I don't know if he would want to come in. He's probably the most expensive name on this list. He probably wouldn't want to come in and have to compete for a job. He would probably be looking for more guarantees. But to me, he's probably the, you know, he's probably the the chance on this list at least for the biggest upgrade. But uh, I'm kind of. Yeah. It seems like a lot of people are split on him. So I was kind of curious to see what you thought about it. Yeah, I've uh, I've I I guess I just always assumed that San Diego was. I mean, Preller has kind of been the. Jerickson Profar, um, you know, he's been the his biggest fan for a long time now. So I just, I guess I just have always assumed that he's going back to San Diego. But the fact that he hasn't gone back yet, I guess, is is noteworthy. So I would love Profar. I mean, he's got real skill. I, I don't, I haven't looked at his profile in probably a year and a half, but I know that he's he usually. I do remember, like he, you know, he normally his XLBA and his OBA are usually pretty close. He's not like a guy that has always kind of crazy outperformed his metrics. Like it's, it's, there's enough real, you know, real data there where you're not just looking at a bunch of noise. You know, he's an athletic guy. I think he's still pretty young. I want to say he, um, he will turn 30 in February. Yeah. So this is his age 30 season. Um, so yeah, you're still fine there. Um, I know he moved to left field almost exclusively with San Diego because I watched a lot of San Diego games and he was always in left field. So, yeah, I mean, I, hey, I would love it. I, I'm all about adding talent. Profar is, I mean, if I said Jerkson Profar, you know, if they added Profar tomorrow, I, I think I would pretty comfortably say he's the best left fielder of the, the bunch um, that they have now. So he would be an upgrade for sure, and I would. I always love having switch hitters in the lineup. It adds a, it adds a level of. It's tougher to 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 match up against, match up against a lineup that's got switch hitters and lefties and righties. So, I'm all for it. I would love Profar. Uh, I just have always assumed that San Diego was going to resign him. So, but we'll see. 
I think it's interesting with the Padres too a little bit, just because you know at some they're talking about moving Tatis to the outfield. They've already got yeah. Soto. Uh, you know they really I, I don't remember they've got Trent Grisham in center field. I think he's coming off a tough season. Um, I'm probably forgetting somebody. So there's a little bit of an outfield crunch there. If I do the, feel like there's somebody that there's they have maybe not. I'm forgetting somebody. I'm sure, but. But you know that uh, it is. I th- I'm like you. I kind of I felt like he was probably going back to San Diego. But the fact that he's still here, available now, um, as we record this, you know, it's it's you have to start to wonder a little bit. Let's see. They uh, roster resource has Trent Grisham listed in center for them. Uh, I know there's been some trade trade rumors around him as well. Uh, so. You know, it's. I think he's the, of the three names that we called out. I think he's the least likely. He's the most expensive. He's probably not yeah. going to want to sign a one-year deal. You know, I don't know if the Braves would be interested. And in, I don't. I don't have a clue what what his contract would probably look like. But I would suspect he will be more a lot more expensive than Duvall or McCutcheon. Um, you know, some other. Definitely. I think the point. Definitely. The point is too is like you you just made a few minutes ago. Outfield's easier to fix. Uh, there's still some. There's still some decent players out there on in free agency. AJ Pollock's another guy. Um, is coming off. Uh, I think he played the second most games in his career. Pretty much played a full season. He's only done that a couple of times in his career. You know, he's he's uh, famously torched lefties. You know, so yeah. I mean, there's there's options there besides trade, and there'll be other options as spring training, you know, goes and and teams pare down their roster. So this is the easy one to fix. But you know, again, I just wanted to kind of look at the situation and then just see see where the where you know when we looked at the shortstops, there weren't that many targets. There's pretty much Elvis Andrus, and then you know it it pretty much goes off the cliff. But with outfield, you know, there is enough there to still available out there that you could you could shore up this uh left field situation and i think everybody would feel a little bit better about it so you know it'll be interesting to see if they they agree with us um i do get the sense that this is probably the group uh that we're going to see going into spring training but hey it's nothing nothing you know there's nothing wrong with a little rosterbation as far as this goes so just just as a data point to throw it out both mlb trade rumors and fan graphs have Profar getting like a two-year, $20 million deal this offseason. So, and both predicted either the Padres or I think the Twins were the other one that they predicted. So, um, but yeah, both both have him in like the 220 range in terms of contract prediction. So I don't know if that's what he'll get. Everybody's, pretty much everybody in the market's got more than what they were predicted to get. So I'm, I'm guessing it would be more than that, but. That's the that's the area they have it. Yeah, I mean that's and that sounds reasonable to me. And uh, I'm a little yeah. surprised that he's still out there. Uh, you know, yeah. so maybe he's looking, maybe he's looking for a little more than that. Maybe he's looking for you know the right opportunity. But you know, as as teams just continue to, you know, set their rosters uh, at some point, you know, he's gonna have to he's gonna have to make a decision. So, you know, that's that's pretty much it. Uh, I think that's uh that we've kind of reached the end of our outline. Uh, is there anything else you want to talk about? No, I, I, I will say this. I, I was happy to see the Braves go into the tax. Um, I know it's a weird thing to say, but I think it is, it does send a good message to fans. You know, they came out early in the off season and they had some executives kind of talking about how much money they had made and, uh, 
how many tickets they had sold and and so progressing the the financials upwards into the point where you're now in the first tax threshold and frankly it's not something i expected to see for a long time back when it's not that long ago the Braves were running a 120 million dollar payroll so the fact that they're now up in you know the 230s in terms of cbt is a big deal and you know i think you know i've been critical of Braves ownership and Terry McWork and and spending in the past but they have contributed or they have you know committed a, a substantial amount of money to keep this team together and competitive for a long time I mean the Braves are going to be good for a long time and just not a lot of teams can say that so confidently you know every team kind of goes through cycles and, and the Braves are they've won five straight divisions they've won a world series they've won a pennant in the last five years and now you know you can look forward and I mean basically for the next five six seven years they're going to be really good and that's because of how much the ownership has decided to commit in terms of dollars and how how good Alex Adopolis is at his job and I, I think Snit deserves a lot of credit for the kind of the culture that he's created so I was happy to see that I think it does send a good message to fans and I would love to see one more move I've said this a couple times I'd love to see you know, one more decent hitter, one more left fielder to, to kind of really round out the offseason. But this team is very, very good, and it's good to see, you know, ownership and, and everybody like that, you know, really committing to the future because it is a bright future. The Braves have a really, really bright future. Yeah, I mean, it's it kind of gets overshadowed, and it, we knew this was going to be kind of a little bit of the case. Uh, I mean, obviously, you can look at the offseason the Mets and the Phillies had, and, uh, you know, those are huge, and there's huge for those fan bases. You know, they committed a ton of money. But, you know, as we said, the Braves did a lot of their heavy lifting before they came into the offseason. I think you and I both agree I would have liked to have seen them just, uh, you know, sign a clear left fielder, uh, you know, just sign a guy, Mitch Hanniger or somebody that, you know, we can just say, hey, you're going to pencil him in and left field every day that he's healthy. But, you know, there was always that in the back of our mind, too, that, you know, that may not be the case. You know, that Rosario's still there. Uh, obviously Ozuna's still here at this point. Hopefully we're not going to see him in left field any more than we have to. But, you know, I think it's not unreasonable for them to try to uh, see if Rosario can at least bounce back and give them what they were hoping when they gave him that two-year deal. So, But, you know, I mean, a lot of teams would gladly swap places uh, with the Braves. You know, one thing I forgot to mention about Sean Murphy before we get out of here, before that extension – I wondered about the timing of it. You know, it's, this came on the, the heels of Dansby agreeing with the Cubs. And we know the Braves had a, a reported $100 million offer, which would have carried them in, you know, significantly into the tax had Swanson, uh, you know, accepted it or, or, or deal a little bit more than that. You know, but I if the Murphy extension on a little bit of a note, it was like they were kind of waiting to see what Dansby was going to do. I think they probably knew what he was going to do. Yeah. But, it, you know, the way they pivoted and uh, Alex even on that call said that it came together in, in you know, 48 hours, basically. Uh, so it made, be, it, made, it made me feel like they didn't approach Murphy about an extension until they knew for sure that Dansby wasn't coming back. I wonder if, uh, you know, if Swanson had came back, would they have still been able to get the Murphy extension done? Uh, you know, it's, it's an interesting thing. But that's a little tidbit I forgot to, I forgot to mention when we were talking about him earlier. Speaking of final tidbits, just real quick, I wanted to ask you, because I, I just thought about this as you were talking about it, but did you see the, um, I know you did, because I think you and I talked about it, but 
the the interview that Alex did with um, Jeff Schultz of the AJ or of the Athletic, um, and you know at the very end of it, he said, uh, Jeff said, you know about Marcelo Zuna. Are you do you think, you know, what do you expect from Marcelo Zuna? And Alex said, I expect him to be in spring training, and then he said, what about after spring training? And Alex said, you know, ask me in spring training, and you know that got a lot of play because it was kind of funny one, but. I did want to ask you, do you do you think that was just like GM speak of not wanting to commit to anything now? Or do you think there's an actual chance they would cut him, you know, if he comes into spring training and, you know, he's had a really bad winter league, you know, he hasn't looked good. And if he came in in spring training and just sucked it up again, do you think they would cut him in spring training? I think it's a, it's a little of both, honestly. I do think it's a little bit of GM speak, uh, you know, with Alex. I think he probably knows that the, the question's probably coming and, um, yeah. you know, and everything. But I do think we're getting far enough into this deal now. I mean, I think we did talk about this. I wonder, I mean, we don't really know what the roster is going to look like yet. I want to, you want to see what the, what the list of, of options looks like when you get to, uh, you get to spring training. But I do wonder if there's a chance, like if, if they feel like they have better options at DH than Ozuna, um, you know, he doesn't bring any other value except with his bat. And and that's been subpar uh, for you know since he signed that extension. I do wonder you know if if they're far enough into that if they would cut him. Um, obviously they've tried to trade him uh, for some bad contract swaps hasn't worked out. You know I think again they may be and it may be a situation too if he comes in the spring and shows something and they get a chance to dump him they may do it. But yeah I thought that was, that was an interesting that was a good interview by Jeff Schultz in the Athletic and. Uh, uh, I thought that was an interesting answer at the end, too. Yeah, I, I when I read it, my first thought was, well, if he, you know, he has to say that. He's not going to say anything else than that. But the more I thought about it, you know, if they got a chance to add Duvall or McCutcheon, you know, as a as another right-handed hitter, Ozuna comes in and looks terrible and is kind of, you know, kind of a jackass like he like he is, then you know, would they if they if, you know if they had a chance to add a Duvall or McCutcheon and would they would they cut him? And I don't know. I, you know, it's a lot of money to cut for the Braves. I think Terry McGuirk has talked about not wanting dead money on the books, and you know, I think Alex has talked about that too. So I don't know if they do it, but it was it, it was a it, for the last kind of the last question of the interview. It was interesting. Yeah, and I mean, I think you, you're. It's a good point. I mean, I tweeted. I tweeted. I remember when Ender was on. Ender Enciarte was on the roster that last year, you know, and I I pointed it out. I'm like, since Alex came on board, you know, they made the big trade with Matt Kemp. They had dead money that year, but that's the only year since until they cut. Yeah. Until they cut Ender Ender that year, you know, and I mean it's a lot smaller uh, amount than what we're yep. talking about with uh, with Ozuna, but you know, with everything Ozuna's done. And off the field, and then when you factor in the, uh, the um, production on the field, you know if they're not gonna if the, if he rides this contract all the way out, then a year is uh, absolutely right. I mean, it's the dead money. You know, it's the only thing it can be at that point. Yeah. So, um, but I do think we're getting far enough into this contract now that it's a lot more in play than uh, you know than what it was uh, for, when the first arrest happened. You know, I think a lot of people expect yeah. them to cut bait but that was going to be a you know that's a maybe that's what they should have done i mean that's what i would have liked to have seen them done but you know at the same time 
uh, you know, it's, that's a huge, that's a huge amount of money to just cut somebody to go play somewhere else. Yeah. And that's the thing is that they don't want to pay, you know, it's not just paying him to leave. It's potentially paying him to play against you. You know, he could sign with the Phillies or whoever. I don't know. I don't know who, you know, if there's a team out there that's got the, you know, the PR balls to sign him, but you know, if somebody does, and not only are you paying him, you know, to leave, you're, you're now paying him to play against you. And so I do think there is some fear of that, but yeah, it would be, it would be, it's going to be fast. That's another kind of interesting storyline is how does Marcelo Zuna look in, in the spring? Because I don't think he's guaranteed a roster spot and, um, which is, you know, is saying something for a guy who's guaranteed, you know, $36 million over the next two years. So, um, just something else to watch for when we get to spring training. Yeah, and the good thing is we're not going to have to wait too much longer. I mean, it's uh, it's going to be here before it's you coming. know it. It's coming. Um, and like I said, it's uh, I can't wait for it now. It's like it's always when the season's over. It's nice to get away for a little bit. But you know, I'm I, today I was walking around outside and I'm like, you know, I'm ready for I'm ready for baseball to be back. And uh, you know, it's going to be fun. Well, and so. and when the when the calendar flips to 2023, and you're like, all right, 2022's over. It's you know, we're 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 now we're on to the next season, you know, even though the season ended a few months ago, you know, when that calendar flips to the next year, next year, it, it really does kind of in your mind, flip it to on to, on to 2023. Well, I think that's going to do us for, uh, for this episode, uh, you know, gives, as always, you know, uh, give us a like and uh, a rating and review and, um, you know, uh, subscribe to the podcast and we're going to have big things uh, planned for, for the upcoming season. And uh, we'll see you guys again next week. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts.